Hello and welcome to The Long Short. I'm your host, Drew Nicholl. Today, we are delving back into the fast-changing world of digital assets with the 2023 Global Crypto Hedge Fund Report, which examines the current state and evolution of the crypto hedge fund market over the past year. We at AIM are delighted to be back to work with PwC and CoinShares for the third year to complement their report on crypto native fund managers with our own chapter looking into the crypto landscape from the point of view of traditional hedge funds. I'm particularly interested to jump into this report because because it provides unique context on how hedge funds and crypto native fund managers reacted to the hair raising events of 2022 and how they've adjusted their investment strategies accordingly. The report also gives insights into the allocation plans of fund managers over the next year, tells us what's holding some hedge funds back from entering the crypto space and to what extent the intensity of regulatory scrutiny in the US is creating opportunities for other jurisdictions to capture market share. Joining me to interrogate the findings of the report are two of its authors. Peter Bruin is a partner in PwC Hong Kong and has been part of PwC's core crypto advisory team since 2017. And from AMA, we have James Delaney, Director of Asset Management Regulation in AMA's Global Government Affairs team and a central figure in our Digital Asset Working Group. So, Peter, James, you are both very welcome to The Long Short. Great to Thank meet you. Thank you very much, Drew. Peter. Let's start by putting this year's report in context, because it has some really interesting data on how different market participants reacted to the events of last year when crypto markets went through, I think it's fair to say, a sustained period of upheaval and several major players did exit the market, most notably FTX. Interestingly, though, half of the native crypto fund managers said that these events had no impact on their perception of the market. And in fact, a further third said that last year's events said that their perception of crypto markets is now more positive. And this contrasts with the views of the traditional hedge funds that were surveyed, where 70% said that the events of last year did impact their plans to deploy more capital into digital assets. So what's going on here and and what's behind this very different reaction? Yes, I think... uh... To start off with thinking about that, because we, I mean, we don't know the reasons why people make the choices in the survey, but I think one, you know, things you can probably surmise here is if I'm running a crypto fund, I'm already all in in digital assets. And also, I'm therefore probably more likely to view what happened um, with, say, FTX as being a problem of, of market structure and of uh, and of a bad actor in the market rather than um, an issue with the the underlying technology and the underlying use cases that that originally um, made me interested in 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 crypto in the first place um in addition i'm very unlikely to to kind of have um you know as as a crypto fund manager i'm very unlikely to have to be dealing with with external stakeholders in my organization that that may always have been a bit skeptical about crypto in the first place um, and, and so I, I would say you know, traditional fund managers you know, do have other parts of their business that need to be um, need to be thought about. But, but I think also have the ability to pivot away into other areas as and when they they, they kind of feel that it's appropriate to do so as well. So, so I think you, you could probably see um, just by thinking through in that way that, that I think that there are likely to be you know, some differences. Um, and, and I think, you know, the traditional um, managers involved in crypto, I think, uh, 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 you know, th- those ones stepping away, 
I, I think partly maybe just because they've got stakeholders that, that maybe aren't quite as, as, as deep in the sector and um, you know, and, and I think need to kind of um, you know, they need to kind of cater to those 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 factors. Um, that, that's basically how I would summarize this. Uh, James, I don't know if you had any thoughts on your side. No, I think I think, Peter, that's spot on. I think for, for those investing, I think the average allocation to digital assets by the traditional hedge fund sector last year was around 4%, according to our, our 2022 survey. And, and of those hedge funds who were invested in digital assets last year, around two thirds had only a, a toehold position with less than 1% of their total hedge fund AUM invested. So I think clearly the collapse of FTX was a, a seismic event for the industry, which, which shook the crypto market. And it was only natural for those traditional hedge funds who were perhaps still in the earlier stages of investing in this asset class to take a rain check and, and step back and ensure that they were appropriately clued up about the various implications of, of last year's events on, on the digital asset trading ecosystem before then deciding how and, and whether to further allocate their investments to this asset class. I think what, what we've seen in, in recent months when we undertook the survey is, is that fewer traditional hedge funds are currently allocating to this asset class than a, a year ago, down from 37% last year to 29% this year. Though it has to be said that is still a, a sizable number for a fairly nascent asset class. But the reality is right now more than two thirds of, of the hedge funds that responded to our survey uh, are not investing in, in crypto assets. But interestingly, however, for, for those who are committed to this asset class, the, the average proportion of, of AUM invested in, in crypto assets has increased this year to around 7% of their total hedge fund AUM. Although around half of hedge funds invested still only have a, a, a toehold position with less than 2% of their total AUM committed. It, it's possible, I, I suppose, that some funds may have seen the, the drawdown in, in the wider market as an opportunity to, to enter at a, a favourable level. Yeah, I, I think there's also, I, I think particularly relevant with the crypto fund survey set is that um, we do have to accept, I think there is a degree of survivorship bias in the in the sample that we we speak to as well. And, you know, to the extent that, um, you know, we were not able to get funds to respond, it may well be the fact that those funds are no longer in business. And and they, these are the ones potentially that would be feeling most negative about the market. Um, I think another thing that is probably quite interesting to, to drill down into is if you look at the types of crypto funds that, that responded and, and their, their overall perceptions, it really was the case that the, the market neutral funds um, were, were definitely most negative. Um, and, you know, I, I guess if you think back to this, these are the funds which are much more likely to keep assets on exchange. And I think presumably then would have been much more impacted. In fact, actually, they confirmed in the survey that they were much more impacted by by the FTX blow up. Um, the, the funds which were or the strategy of the funds which were most positive were, were the long only funds or long only sort of hedge funds or crypto funds. And those ones, um, you know, maybe you've sort of surmised that actually they, they previously felt that the market in 2021 was 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 really overheated. And um, and actually now valuations are getting down to more sustainable levels. And so, you know, us asking after there'd been a big drop in price may well mean that actually they're confident in that they're, they're buying again and they're, they're looking to step up. So I think you can actually read some of that into the market, but taking the, the data that we got. So that's interesting. So just just to pick up on a sort of a point you both made there and, and put those together, the, the time of the survey in Q1 this year 
we're saying may well have meant that the, the, the population that we captured were those that were still in after the events of last year. And although there clearly have been some jitters and, and maybe some people have, have exited either voluntarily or, or involuntarily, what we can maybe surmise from those that are still here, and in fact, there is some data to support this in the report, that those that are still here don't plan to, to exit any time now. And, and I believe I'm correct in saying that uh, there were no traditional hedge funds surveyed that said they were planning to decrease their exposure uh, compared to a, a small number that, that were considering doing that in previous years. So just to sort of wrap all that together, does that imply a certain amount of resiliency in the market at this point, uh, assuming no other major events are forthcoming? Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. While I suppose a healthy dose of scepticism remains, I, th I think we are definitely seeing some resiliency in, in the market. More than half of the traditional hedge funds who are currently investing in, in crypto assets that we surveyed said they intend to maintain the same levels of capital deployed this year. And the remainder stated that they intended to deploy more capital into the asset class by the end of the year. Around 44% oh, of those hedge funds currently have less than 2% of their AUM in crypto assets. And as you said, Drew, it was notable that none of the respondents said they were planning to reduce their exposure to the asset class this year. I, th I think we're seeing at the moment a sort of deepening bifurcation with those traditional hedge funds who are perhaps further along on their journey when it comes to researching and investing in this asset class, looking to maintain or increase their AUM exposure to crypto versus those traditional hedge funds that are either not looking to play in this market or are still working it out. A an interesting data point was that more than a third of respondents not yet invested in crypto assets confirmed to us that they are curious, but waiting for further maturity of, of the ecosystem. And around half of respondents said that if the perceived barriers, such as a lack of regulatory clarity, were removed, they could change their approach and become more interested in the asset class. That being said, 40% stated that the, the removal of, of barriers would still not impact their current approach to, to not invest. For, the, for those that are investing in, in crypto assets, uh, general diversification or, or long-term outperformance was cited as, as the most common reasons given for including this asset class in, in their portfolios. The remainder stated uh, market neutral alpha opportunities as their primary reason. Uh, interestingly, 40% of, of smaller hedge funds, so those with AUM under $1 billion, uh, selected the, the market neutral alpha opportunities as, as their primary reason, compared to only, I think, around 13% of, of larger funds. The, the larger funds mostly chose general diversification as, as their primary reason to invest in this asset class. I think, you know, the, the market events of 2022 clearly slowed institutional adoption of, of crypto assets with client reaction or reputational risk seen as the, the greatest barrier to invest. But the, the findings in our survey do suggest an underlying resiliency in, in this fast evolving market. I agree with that, James, uh, completely. I, I think, I mean, I remember back working in the sector to, to 2018, and you know, I think in, in 2018, when um, when when the market uh, the market dipped, and we, we we had that that last crypto winter, I think a lot of us really did look at ourselves and say, look, is this is this actually uh, is this industry going to survive, and is this asset class going to continue to exist? Um, I don't personally see 
anybody that I'm speaking to think that that is the case in in, in this sort of particular situation. I, I think the underlying technology has become much more established now. And if you look at the the, the, the sort of the, the types of assets which are, um, you know, if we look at what our crypto hedge funds that we surveyed were investing in, you know, actually a large number of them are investing in that kind of core underlying infrastructure. Um, you know, whether that be the the layer ones, the layer twos, or or in, in the DeFi tokens, and 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 these these are these are things which you know, really are continuing to move forward. Uh, and are not really impacted by uh, by, by by kind of a corporate fraud. Um, the, these are technological innovations that that really are actually um, you know still very real and still very valid. And 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 I don't see I don't see that conviction moving along. Um, even even if maybe it it means that things take a bit longer and that that the kind of the market is a bit slower in terms of of, of kind of you know getting some of those achievements through because of this. And and if regulation, which I know we'll speak about in a bit. Um, it, it, it is kind of then then comes in to to kind of shape the way that the, these kind of asset classes evolve. I'm very aware that until now we've we've just been talking about uh, crypto assets or the digital asset market, which is um, an increasingly broad umbrella term. So let's get specific at this point because we do have some insights into exactly what it is that these fund managers are investing in, and interestingly. Although perhaps not entirely unsurprisingly, the major uh, cryptocurrencies of Ethereum and Bitcoin were standout favourites once again, and in fact to a greater degree than previous years. Could one of you just give me some insights into why this is and, and why that trend is becoming more stocks than it, than it was, uh, I believe, either of the prior years we've done this survey? Yeah, I, I think... This is a this is a trend I've seen um, you know happen throughout the kind of the market cycle in in, in digital assets though and and what happens is that when markets are good um, and, and and frothy everybody jumps into to the the so-called altcoins being the kind of coins which are maybe a little bit more more speculative in nature but when people start to get nervous and and, and markets are down then um, you know people do tend to jump into the the really um, you know large large cap coins and that's predominantly say bitcoin and increasingly um, ethereum now and and that that is really sort of borne out and we we look in the survey as to kind of what are the the this the altcoins that, that that people are investing in and yeah we we do generally see we've seen a, a decline from from last year's survey um more or less across the board <clears throat> um with with a couple of exceptions um but but in terms of sort of the 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 altcoins as we was referred to them that that is still popular um, you know, we are seeing you know, a large number of layer one protocols, layer one protocols being kind of core underlying blockchain infrastructure layers um, and, and uh, yeah, as being still very popular. And so Solana is still coming out as being the, the, the top altcoin after Ethereum, um, which I was, a, it's, it's down, but I was quite surprised given Solana was quite closely linked to, um, to FTX and, and it really did suffer. But but it still seems like it, it's coming out as as being sort of the top altcoin from 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 that point of view. Um, Poly, Polygon um, seems to be doing relatively um, well in sort of the, the, the next place and and actually unchanged. So so don't seem to have suffered from the same falls that that, that some of the others do. And, and equally Uniswap as well, which is a a DeFi governance token for a decentralized exchange. Um, and and you know actually in, in a way some of the, the decentralized exchanges came out quite well from um, the, the this sort of blowout from FTX which were primarily seen as a problem of centralized actors 
and and financial fraud um, down to sort of um, you know due to the actions of individuals. Um, and 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 so so de- some of these decentralized exchanges, which really do rely on code, whilst they have their problems, um, they they are um, to to a degree insulated from that that sort of bad actor risk in that way because everything is is fully open source and visible and 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 you know the, the exchange trades with the code and so therefore the, the token around uh, you know, the, the the sort of performance of Uniswap not necessarily performance in price but performance in terms of the number of hedge funds or crypto hedge funds investing in that particular token seems to be be pretty unchanged from last year. So I thought that that was really interesting and it does kind of fit with that broader market narrative as well. James, do you agree? Is it just a flight to quality? I think so. I mean, what we saw in, in our survey findings um, from the traditional hedge funds is, is the vast majority of respondents, I think over 90 percent, um, selected either Bitcoin or ETH as as the coins that they're investing in. Um, I suppose various reasons for that. It, it, it may be regulatory. Um, so this might indicate that some of the traditional hedge funds are, are being cautious and, and therefore mindful of um, some of the regulatory issues and obviously the uncertainty around US regulation and the different categorization as well. Uh, also, I suppose the rise in popularity of, of crypto uh, ETPs, ETFs, exchange traded products and, and funds could be another manifestation of, of this. Interestingly, just, just to add, um, none of the respondents to our survey, um, the traditional hedge funds, reported being invested in, in NFTs this year um, compared to around, I think it was one in five last year. And I, I suppose that would seem to correlate with the, the considerable cooling off of the, the NFT market um, since its, its peak a couple of years ago in, in 2021. And if I actually an observation, similar to, to, to that comment uh, NFTs, James, as well, I sort of see from our survey as well, well so they're not in the, the, the top list, but actually uh, the, one of the most resilient coins in our, our list does seem to be Dogecoin. Uh, so, so read into that what you will, but um, you know, actually some of the other meme coins do not seem to have been impacted in the same way as, as some of the more kind of um, I guess sort of complex layer one layer one coins and and, and things like that. So it, it's I, I thought it was very interesting that 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 was that was the case. I think they're, they're still a, a minority sport, but um, they, they, their popularity does not seem to have been impacted. And if I could just p- put you on the spot here a little bit on this NFT point just before we uh, move on, it was interesting to read some commentary recently that that, that NFTs may well benefit from this calling off in the long run insofar as the celebrity interest and some of the hype has been taken out of the um the the apes and everything else that we saw go you know in stratospheric at one point and i've seen some pretty hair-raising revaluations of some of those nfts but actually i think i have um personally a, a little bit of sympathy for the underlying technology there which i think got lost in all the all the noise and all the 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 various honey badgers and apes and this that and the other but do you think that actually when we're looking back on this period and and maybe doing this survey in another few years that nfts may come back but in a slightly more um sober form and something that actually leans upon the use case of the technology yeah i I think that's fair and i'm sure peter's got some comments here but i think NFT is, as you, as you said, can sort of advanced from simply being considered sort of hype trading cards, so to say. And and I think going on to sort of capture um, or will go on to capture sort of mass attention as as the concept evolves into more solid use cases, things like real estate NFTs, obviously gaming 
NFTs. Um, I think we saw um, around Ukraine's war funds as well, the, them being used. So definitely more use cases developing um, as uh, people take the opportunity of the crypto winter to sort of reassess and build um, and look at how this technology can be used elsewhere. Peter, I don't know if you don't have anything. Yeah, on I, I, I mean, I think, you know, an NFT is is purely a, a, a piece of technology, uh, a, a way of tokenizing something that is unique. So, um, you know, and, and, and effectively non-fungible. So, um, you, you know, what it is you're tokenizing is really what the hype is around, um, and and so you know if there if there is hype around you know personal profile pictures or um, you know or, or, or artwork and things like that, which which ultimately turns out to be short term, then then you know that's fine. But once we start to see NFTs representing either real world assets, um, which have real you know real underlying value, or or actually you know again the 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 example we always talk about is. You know, we don't really see the future of NFTs being kind of one NFT that's worth a million dollars. We see it as being a million NFTs that are worth a dollar each, or even even worth a few cents each, because those are the those are the things which are going to be useful in terms of business transactions. And and actually, you know, I, I see NFTs being much more relevant for things like consumer loyalty, for supply chain um, use cases, and things like that. None of this is hyped. None of this is particularly exciting. From the point of view of like writing news articles, but but actually it, it is a real world use case. Well, there are real world use cases which are changing business models, and and we are starting to see adoption. Um, and and you know they're, they're just slightly more sober use cases as you as you described. AMA is pleased to announce that AMA putting ESG into practice conference will be returning to London on the seventh of September, twenty twenty three. Over the course of the day, discussions will address the basics of compliance, key regulatory developments, and the wider trends and themes that are guiding firms' approaches to responsible investment. The goal is to give attendees a set of practical insights that can immediately add value to their business. Panels, keynote speakers, and workshops will explore the practical aspects of ESG integration for alternative asset managers with a focus on regulatory developments affecting the industry. Interested in finding out more? Visit the AMA website to register now. Right. Well, I've I've put it off as long as I possibly can. So let's jump into this uh, regulatory environment, which was a, a significant theme in the report. And, and and just to start with, let's focus on the US because I know we did have a specific question on that. So just to quote the report back to you both, around a quarter of hedge funds that are currently investing in crypto assets say that. Uh, increased regulatory uncertainty in the US will have a major impact or may lead them to reconsider the viability of their crypto asset strategy. And just to go on, uh, around one third stated that the regulatory approach in the US specifically will increase legal and compliance costs. And a further third said that it may well lead to increased difficulties in accessing banking services. So, James, I'm just going to put this to you first. Incredibly broad question, but if you could just take our listeners through in a very high level sense, what's going on here? What's driving the issues? And if these firms do leave, where might they go? Thanks, Drew. A great question. I think as much as what's going on, it's what's not going on. Um, I think regulations for, for crypto assets are continuing to evolve globally, but each jurisdiction is developing its own 
unique approach. And, and while regulators in, in Europe um, with, with Mika, most recently adopted um, in, in Brussels and, and Asia as well, uh, are looking to offer clearer guidance, the, the US has taken uh, a more cautious and enforcement focused stance. But by doing that, it, it may have unintentionally driven innovation to, to other regions with more proportionate regulations. So the regulatory tightening in, in the US, which has been exacerbated by the, the collapse of several companies, as, as we've mentioned last year, um, ha has definitely altered the landscape. Just as an example, the, the SEC's proposed custody rule um, could, if, if adopted without change, drastically curtail investment in, in digital assets. As you said, Drew, from, from our findings, it, it was clearly noticeable that I think 23% uh, of traditional hedge funds uh, stated that the regulatory uncertainty in the US will either have a, a major impact or lead them to reconsider the viability of, of their crypto asset strategy. What, one of the top four challenges cited by hedge fund managers investing in crypto assets is, is the lack of a regulatory regime for crypto assets. And, and similarly, one of the, the main reasons or obstacles cited by hedge funds who aren't currently investing is also the lack of, of regulatory and, and, and tax regime clarity. Now, the industry has, has long raised concerns over the lack of transparency and urgency in, in the regulatory decision making. And, and it's clear now that many governments and regulatory bodies are attempting to build comprehensive frameworks to oversee the usage of digital assets as, as they gain popularity and, and general acceptance. At, at AMA, we, we have a digital assets regulatory group that has been actively engaging and, and supporting regulators and policymakers on, on the appropriate framing of these new frameworks or, or regimes. We, we also recently undertook a, a snap poll of around uh, 40 of, of AMA's US-based digital asset working group members about which jurisdictions they're most interested in expanding to and, and what characteristics they most value in a domicile. When asked what factors are most important in, in the choice of jurisdiction, respondents were nearly unanimous in, in highlighting the regulatory environment, with I think 90% describing it as very important and the remainder saying it, it's somewhat important. Half of the respondents to that SNAP poll um, that are currently not operating in the UK said that they are considering entering that market in, in the next five years. And those that are either headquartered or have a presence in the UK are also considering expanding their presence over the same period. The, the UAE also recorded um, a large percentage of, of those who said they had a, a strong interest in the jurisdiction. I think 70% of respondents expressed either some or a strong interest in, in the Middle Eastern hub. And also, I suppose, in, in third place, 55% uh, of respondents um, either said they had some or a strong interest in gaining a presence in Singapore. So from our, our SNAP poll um, done a month or so ago, it, it definitely seems alternate jurisdictions are increasingly catching the eye of digital asset firms amid the ongoing US regulatory pressure and, and uncertainty. Peter, I'm not sure if you'd add anything on, on the regulatory side. No, I mean, I, I just think there's there's such a stark contrast there in terms of um, in, in terms of the way in which regulation has been approached. But I I guess my, my perspectives of what I see in the US is that it is um, it is not necessarily due to um, the, the fact there is unanimity in, in, in the kind of the US view of it. But I think there are 
there are perspectives of, of of certain regulators, but I think we're also seeing um, we're also seeing kind of I, I guess bills coming in. Uh, note that there is uh, does seem to be movement on stable coins in the U.S., which you know hopefully will will you know will be seeing something positive there shortly. Um, and you know let's see uh, let's see if Congress can 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 put in place something. But I think what we what we generally are, are definitely are seeing, uh, and I'll, I'll take the perspective of, of Hong Kong, um, is you know the, the the fact that Hong Kong has now come out with with some positive news on on regulation and is really pushing, for example, to um, you know to, to put in comprehensive regulation. We've had regulation for for virtual asset fund managers for a while, but really pushing in on the um, you know expanding our regulatory regime for for exchanges. That's led to a, a lot of interest from from the region, um, and and even actually surprisingly from the U.S., where I thought um, I thought most U.S. businesses would would maybe not be interested in Hong Kong due to 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 to, to certain factors, but but we're actually seeing a lot of positive interest, and certainly we see as a business at PwC a number of um, you know digital assets businesses, not necessarily just in the fund management sector, but also uh, it, you know. Builders and you know technology companies looking in this space, as well as exchanges and and you know custodians and marketplace, um, you know, or sort of market makers, really looking at um, you, you know expanding in Asia in particular, um, you know across the region as a whole. The other major area I really wanted to touch upon was the interest in tokenization, which came through fairly strongly in both the surveys. And I know that any listeners who have been to a digital asset event in the last year or so will inevitably have come across tokenization as the new hot thing. James, could you just give us a, a brief overview of what tokenization is and, and why people are so excited about it? Sure, Drew, thanks. I, so interestingly, this year we decided to include a, a new question, uh, specifically focus on the interest in, in tokenization in, in asset management. Um, just take a step back. So as, as you asked, sort of what is tokenization? Tokenization involves converting um, ownership, partial or full ownership rights to an, an asset such as uh, real estate into a, a digital representation in, in the form of a token that, that's stored and administered on, on the blockchain. Now, a, a third of hedge funds already investing in this asset class, who, who we surveyed, believed that the biggest growth opportunity over, over the next year or so will be tokenization of real assets. Uh, a clear trend from this year's report is also that a quarter of respondents from across the traditional hedge fund industry, including hedge funds that aren't currently invested in digital assets, confirm that they are now exploring tokenization in, in asset management. Um, another area of tokenization, tokenization of, of a fund, for example, would, would mean less uh, manual interactions and, and could increase efficiency and, and reduce the friction that is perhaps commonplace across the asset management world, such as um, enabling faster settlement times. It also could create opportunities for democratization of, of asset classes um, like private markets that may not have been accessible before to certain investors, but legal certainty risk remains a, a hurdle. Um, although it seems just a, a matter of time before the asset management industry has, has more clarity for, for the benefits of fund tokenization to really manifest. I think it's interesting that the use cases for many of the underlying technologies uh, are expanding beyond just financial transaction um, with application in, in areas such as tokenization. 
I, I think I, I'd like to sort of uh, also kind of add to that. And, and again, tokenization is a, an area that we we certainly hear a lot of in the market. Um, interestingly, the crypto hedge funds, when we asked about tokenization of real world assets, they were a lot less excited in about it than the the traditional hedge funds. Um, but but I think I think what we when we did actually drill in in the survey though is to kind of well okay for those that were interested in it, when we asked why and what it was they're interested in um, I, I think it, it's a common misnomer to say that actually increased liquidity is is the thing that that, that people are really looking for with with tokenized products because you know actually you don't have liquidity until you actually have have kind of deep markets and there are no deep markets at the moment for for tokenized um, real world assets they, they just don't exist um, but but I think what people were really interested in uh, from an opportunity point of view is this concept of like, the top factor was programmability and automation of, of so things like corporate actions voting rights or voting dividend payments and things like that that that, that came out top which I think uh, is it comes down to that efficiency point you mentioned James um, transparency was also, um, you know, a, a something that, that was sort of close, actually an equal first place at, you know, 23% said that it was their top factor. And say, so, well, actually what we mean by transparency is actually you, you, if you if you actually have these tokenized assets, it's very clear, um, you know, who owns them and, and, you know, how they're owned. And, you know, you can actually also um, utilize the benefits of, of blockchains to to actually immutably uh, you know immutably prove data about a particular asset or information about a particular asset is true, so I think that's that's kind of quite quite interesting there. The other one, they say second place or also third, I guess if we had a joint first, was re the reduced settlement time and the, the the opportunity to basically be able to atomically swap um, assets. Uh, and I and, and I think that this also kind of came in there. And then reduced cost was a uh, you know a fourth one, although. From my experience at the moment, given that assets are, um, you know, th this is still very new, I don't see reduced cost actually being materialized until we do start to have a significant amount more volume and, and more liquidity. Um, but I, I just thought that was, uh, a, you know, an interesting kind of, um, you know, observation and, and the, you know, we, we did go a bit deeper in that. Um, I, I think the the point around tokenizing funds, the, the crypto hedge funds were more interested in that, and actually, 25% of them did say, or 23% of them did say, they actually had active plans in place to tokenize their fund units, um, and, and I think 4% of the crypto hedge funds actually already had done this. So, um, so, so I think that, that also quite an interesting data point there. Sounds like it's certainly going to be something that will be in next year's report, and and may well be the beginning of, of quite a prominent trend if if those numbers um, tick upwards in the way that, that it sounds like they might. Yeah, I think it is. I think there's, there's still there's a little bit of a chicken and egg because the 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 opportunity um, of of doing this still really does depend on getting that critical mass of of kind of assets out there that have been tokenized so that those liquid markets can be made. Um, and you know, until that happens, it, it 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 will always be something that is done for proof of concepts and things like that. So I think what we're really, I mean, what I'm really excited about is. If we can get some of the big players in the asset management industry to really step into this area and do something big, then I think that will, in my view, probably kickstart this and and start to really then um, you know and then I think once we start to get um, the the volumes in there and 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 sort of recognition of the um, as, as as Drew said the, the 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 regulatory framework kind of cleared up, I think we could start to see this happening very quickly. So the real joy of my role 
in these podcasts is that I just get to take these reports and just ask all the questions about the bits that I find most interesting. But in fairness, I probably should give you guys just a free swing because there is so much in this report. And I really do encourage anyone who might be interested to download the report. It's entirely free and available on both the AMA and PwC websites. And I think we'll link it in the show notes as well. But just to give you guys a, a a really open question here. Is there anything we haven't spoken about? Is there anything that really jumped out to you as you were going through the numbers behind these surveys? Uh, Peter, maybe sticking with you. Yeah, so I, I think there's there's a, a couple of things I wanted to flag. And I think, you know, whilst it is a report focused on crypto hedge funds and not on, on exchanges, um, I think a lot of the regulatory um, developments we've been seeing really have, you know, it recently have focused on exchanges and also a lot of the um, you know, as we talked about the market disruptions, um, you know, do tie back to um, exchanges as well. So I, I think what's really interesting, what I thought was particularly interesting here is when we asked, um, you know, we asked crypto funds about how fund managers should be regulated. Yeah, OK, we, we you know, that's that's covered in there. But we also asked them about how they thought that the trading venues that they trade on should be regulated. And actually, they gave some quite interesting insights. Um, so we said, well, what, what kind of regulation would you demand for, for trading venues? Or, or would you would you think is most important? I think what really came out here was um, was was client asset segregation as being an absolute top thing that really does need to be addressed. And for those of you not familiar how many crypto exchanges have historically worked, effectively all the client assets have generally been pulled pull, pulled into some form of a kind of giant omnibus account. And and what you've got there is effectively your your assets on exchange are really just an unsecured creditor, or you're, you're effectively just an unsecured creditor. And you know I think everybody was maybe less familiar with that, but but FTX has sort of really brought that to the the forefront of what people are interested in. So I think this this push to say actually client asset segregation so that if I if the exchange is under my assets are still safe, absolutely critical. The other thing was around you know I, I do work for an accounting firm, but um, you know, so I claim to be slightly biased here, but but the next biggest factor is saying we need to get financial audits of exchanges done properly. Now, this is a is a really difficult one for the for the sector, and you know, one which you know you know we we do sort of struggle with sometimes. Um, but but I think you know you do have exchanges out there that are audited by proper firms or by 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 sort of the larger accounting firms. And you have exchanges out there that are not. And I think that that does sort of say, I think maybe this was something that was less important before, but but I think is, is of increasing importance or, or funds are putting increasing importance on that, just from the point of view of getting comfort over um, over where they're trading. And then there was another data point in the report, which was kind of brought out that same theme. And we still said, well, when you do your vendor selection on exchanges, what is most important to you? And last year we asked the same question and without fail, liquidity came in as being the number one factor. And actually all the other factors were, were barely even mentioned. So this year, platform security is kind of more or less an equal first place with liquidity. I think that does show you that the mindset is changing. And I think that also says is that actually maybe some of the, the, the more regulated exchanges that have struggled to attract customers historically might start to find that a little bit easier now because the product that they're offering is is maybe a little bit more what the market's demanding um, post those market disruptions. Um, so that, that was the first observation. I think we we are seeing a, a change in the market structure. The second observation I, I thought was quite interesting, I didn't really expect this, was when we ask questions about decentralized exchanges, so these are um, you know, exchanges effectively run via, say, via DeFi or decentralized finance, and where, where it's, it's effectively the, the exchange is a technology protocol that facilitates peer-to-peer -peer 
transactions rather than having a, a centralized exchange with the central order book. Now, we asked, you know, has the number of crypto hedge funds using decentralized exchanges increased? And yes, it had. It had gone from 42% to 44%. But that wasn't what was really interesting. What was really interesting is actually the, the platforms using that, that, that they mentioned they were using have become a lot more concentrated and significantly more concentrated. So last year, there was a lot of fragmentation in terms of the decentralized exchanges that, um, that, that crypto hedge funds were using. Um, and, and there weren't really any key key leaders out there. This year, um, you know, Uniswap was coming in with 75% of, of all of the, the those surveyed, um, you know, up from 20%, which is a major change. Um, DYDX came in at 40%, up from 5%, and then Curve Finance came in at 27%, up from 7%. So you really sort of look at that and 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 you know that long tail of of, of kind of the, maybe the more esoteric DeFi. Um, service providers was maybe becoming less less popular, and really the the market was coalescing around some of these dominant platforms. I think just to add um, final sort of comments in terms of other areas that were interesting, I, I, I thought it was interesting that the the availability of infrastructure and, and service providers for crypto assets fell off the list of of the top four greatest barriers to invest, according to this year's report on on the traditional hedge fund side. Uh, but perhaps um, this is indicative of, of the growth of, of, of specialized um, crypto asset service providers and, and some of the mainstream financial institutions also entering the market. Though that being said, that there's clearly still room for further maturity and regulatory advances, and as Peter mentioned, and, and development of institutional grade infrastructure. But but this does tie in what we've seen uh, very recently with with some of the largest uh, financial institutions in in the world starting to ease their their cautious approach to crypto markets, with, with some of the major banks and investment firms launching or exploring their own crypto asset products and and services. So just wanted to highlight that data point as as well. Well, all that's left is to thank you both so much for your time, especially Peter, given that we are recording at a very unsociable time for you in Hong Kong. We have covered a huge amount here, but I do feel like in many ways we have only just scratched the surface of the findings in the report. So again, I'll encourage all listeners to take the time to download and, and really dig in to a much greater extent than we can do in, in just the hour here. Uh, again, it is free to download in the show notes to this episode or the AIMA or PwC websites. This report is always one of our most popular research pieces of the year and really does inform the dialogue around the digital asset space. It gives us a health check for where we are right now and as you've just heard gives us a lot of themes to think about and and things to watch out for going forward. So from Amos' point of view it's a big thank you to PwC and CoinShares for inviting us to contribute again. So thank you both for joining me on the long short. Thank you very much, Drew. And I'd also just like to extend a thank you just for the fact that it's been an absolute pleasure working with the AMO and the CoinShares team on this report. Um, and I, I think it, it does work really, really well, bringing those different perspectives um, to, to, to to bear and having the, the two different surveys. So really, really, it's been a really um, good experience for us. For us. Thanks very much, Peter. And, and thanks to you, Drew. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.